Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. A slightly terrifying thing because that's it no more changes and really if I had the time and the energy I, I'm fully capable of sneaking into bookstores and taking old copies of mine and <laughs> crossing things out. Um, so this is my chance to actually um, continue to play around a little more um, with something that, that was supposedly a done deal. I mention that only because you will be hearing some passages that aren't in the book. <laughs> Like those previews that have scenes but that, that aren't actually in the movie. <laughs> a celestial light appeared to Barrett Meeks in the sky over Central Park four days after Barrett had been mauled once again by love. It was by no means his first romantic drop kick, but it was the first to have been conveyed by way of a five-line text, the fifth line of which was a crushingly corporate wish for good luck in the future, followed by three lowercase x's. During the past four days, Barrett had been doing his best to remain undiscouraged by what seemed lately to be a series of progressively terse and tepid breakups. In his 20s, love had usually ended in fits of weeping and shouts loud enough to set off the neighbor's dogs. The words falling in love still suggest to Barrett the green glass shards of a broken bottle on a sidewalk under a street lamp and the voice of a woman neither shrill nor scolding emanating from some low dark window saying simply, don't you understand the people live here? People are trying to sleep. <clears throat> like the voice of an exhausted mother. Can you all hear me, by the way? Okay, thank you. As Barrett moved into his mid and then late 30s, the partings increasingly tended, tended to resemble business negotiations. <clears throat> they were not devoid of sorrow and, acquisition, and accusation, but they had without question become less hysterical. They'd come to resemble deals and investments that had unfortunately gone wrong despite early promises of solid returns. This last parting, however, was his first to be conveyed by text. The farewell appearing uninvited, unanticipated, on a screen no bigger than a bar of hotel soap. Hi, Barrett, I guess you know what this is about. Hey, we gave it our best shot, right? Barrett did not, in fact, know what it was about. <clears throat> We got the message, clearly enough, love and whatever future love implied had been canceled. But 
I guess you know what this is about? He did not know. He responded initially in kind by text. An email seemed elderly, a phone call desperate. So he tapped out on tiny keys. Wow, this is sudden. How about we talk a little? I'm where I always am. XXX, lowercase. <clears throat> by the end of the second day, Barrett had left two more texts, followed by two voicemails, and had spent most of the second night not leaving a third. By the end of day number three, he had not only received no reply of any kind, but had begun to realize there would be no reply at all, that he had been left standing on the platform, wondering how exactly he seemed to have missed his train. In the text, I wish you happiness and luck in the future, XXX. On the fourth night, <clears throat> Barrett was walking across Central Park, headed home after a dental exam, which struck him on one hand as depressingly commonplace, but on the other as a demonstration of his fortitude. Go ahead, rid yourself of me in five uninformative and woundingly anonymous lines. I'm sorry, it just hasn't worked out the way we hoped it would, but I know we both tried our best. I'm not going to neglect my teeth for you. <clears throat> I'm going to be pleased and thankful to know that I don't need a root canal after all. <clears throat> Still, the idea that without having been offered any time to prepare for it, he'd been <clears throat> vanquished <clears throat> from the realm of love seems literally impossible. A violation of love physics. As is the fact that <clears throat> Barrett would apparently never know what it was that had gone so wrong. There had been, during the last month or so, the occasional fight, the awkward lapse in conversation. But Barrett had assumed that the two of them were merely entering the next phase. That their disagreements, the, do you think you could try not to be late some of the time? Now, why would you put me down like that in front of my friends? Were signposts of their growing intimacy. He hadn't remotely imagined that one morning he'd check his text messages and find love to have been lost with approximately the degree of remorse one would feel over the loss of a pair of sunglasses. On the night of the apparition, Barrett, having been <clears throat> relieved of the threatened root canal, having promised to floss more faithfully, had crossed the Great Lawn and was nearing the floodlit geological glacial mass of the Metropolitan Museum. He was crunching over ice-coated silver-gray snow, taking a shortcut to the number six train, dripped on by tree branches. Glad at least to be going home to Tyler and Beth, glad to have someone waiting for him. He felt numb, as if his whole being had been injected with Novocaine. He wondered if he was becoming, at the age of 38, less a figure of tragic ardency, love's holy fool, and more a middle manager who wrote, who wrote off one deal. Yes, there's been some losses to the company portfolio, but nothing catastrophic. And went on to the next with renewed, if slightly more reasonable, aspirations. He no longer felt inclined to stage a counterattack, 
to leave hourly voicemails or stand sentry outside his ex's building. Although 10 years ago, that's exactly what he would have done. Barrett Meeks, a soldier of love. Now he could only picture himself as aging and destitute. If he summoned up a show of anger and ardency, it would merely <clears throat> be meant to disguise the fact that he was broke. He was broken. Please, brother, have you got anything you can spare? Barrett hung his head as he walked through the park, not from shame, but weariness, as if his head had become too heavy to hold upright. He looked down at the modest blue-gray puddle of his own shadow, cast by the lampposts onto the snow. He watched his shadow glide over a pine cone, a vaguely runic scattering of pine needles and the wrapper of an O'Henry bar. They still made O'Henry bars that rattled by raggedly silver, windblown. The miniature groundscape at his feet struck him rather suddenly as too wintry and prosaic to bear. He lifted his heavy head and looked up. There it was, a pale aqua light, translucent, a swatch of veil, Star high, now lower than the stars, but high, higher than a spaceship hovering above the treetops. It may or may not have been slowly unfurling, densest at its center, <clears throat> trailing off at its edges into lacy spurs and spirals. Vera thought that it must be a freakish southerly appearance of the aurora borealis, not exactly a common sight over Central Park, but as he stood, a pedestrian in scarf and coat, saddened and disappointed, but still regular as regular, standing on a stretch of lamplit ice. As he looked up at the light, as he thought it was probably all over the news, as he wondered whether to stand where he was, privately surprised, or go running after someone else for corroboration. In his uncertainty, his immobility, standing stolid in timberlands, it came to him. He believed, he knew, that as surely as he was looking up at the light, the light was looking back down at him. No not looking, apprehending, as he imagined a whale might apprehend a swimmer with a grave and regal and utterly unfrightened curiosity. <clears throat> he felt the light's attention, a tingle that ran through him, a minute electrical buzz, a mild and pleasing voltage that permeated him warmed him, seemed perhaps ever so slightly to illuminate him, so that he was brighter than he'd been, <clears throat> just a shade or two, phosphorescent, but pinkly so, humanly so, a gathering of faint bloodlight that rose to the surface of his skin. And then, neither slowly nor quickly, the light dissipated. It waned into a scattering of pale blue sparks that seemed somehow animated, like the playful offspring of a placid and titanic parent. Then they too winked out, and the sky was as it had been, as it 
has always been. He remained standing for a while, watching the sky as if it were a television screen that had suddenly gone blank and might just as mysteriously turn itself on again. The sky, however, continued to offer only its compromised darkness and the sparse pinpoints of stars powerful enough to be seen at all in the New York City glare. Finally, he continued home to the modest comforts of the apartment in Bushwick. What else, after all, was he supposed to do? Had he been given a sign? Did the fact that some immense inhuman intelligence elected to appear to him at this particular moment have anything to do with anything? Or was the vision just a tumor, some little flesh stone pressing against his cerebral cortex? How will he feel when a year or so from now an orderly tells him they could have caught it if only they'd acted sooner? On his way to the number six train, however, he was aware of a certain difference. A new feeling of his own consequence, even if he was merely going out of his mind. Something remarkable had occurred in a life generally innocent of the remarkable. Did it matter? Did it matter crucially if it was just a hallucination? It was still Barrett's hallucination, his and his alone. Would it be so dreadful to live as prophets and madmen must in an ongoing condition of terror and rapture? Would it be the worst of all possible ends, believing in forces and omens and systems of cause and effect that go unseen by those who recognize only the recognizable? <clears throat> Might it be like setting out into a wilderness, a pilgrim, a seeker, a man who has lost his mind? Haven't the dispossessed and disappointed, the ill-used, the persecuted, <clears throat> all the citizens who don't seem to understand and abide by systems been doing just that for millennia? Thank you. Yeah, right, right, actually, thank you. Um, if you'll bear with me, this is a, this is a very short section. Um, <clears throat> This is Tyler Barrett's brother, who is, well, himself. <clears throat> He's standing at the window of the, the, his apartment in Bushwick. It's snowing out. Um, the morning after, Ty, uh, Barrett has seen this light in the sky. <clears throat> Tyler is gratefully aware of himself, a one-man audience, standing naked at a window at the start of the 21st century. The world has lasted this long, with hope clattering in his ribcage. It seems possible that all the surprises have been part of an inscrutable effort, too immense to see. Some gathering of lost chances and canceled plans, and girls who were almost but not quite, all of which seemed random at the time, but it brought him here to this window to his difficult but interesting life, his bulldogish loves, 
as <clears throat> a new as the Republicans are about to go down and a new world cold and clean to begin. Outside, <clears throat> the snow shifts with a shift in the wind, and it seems as if some benign force, some vast invisible goddess, has known what Tyler wanted the moment before he knew it himself. A sudden animation, a change, the gentle, steady snowfall taken up and turned into fluttering sheets, an airy map of the wind currents. Yes. Are you ready, Tyler? It's time to release the pigeons, five of them, from the liquor store roof. <clears throat> time to set them aflight, and then, are you watching? Turn them, silvered by early light, counter to the wind-blown flakes. Sail them effortlessly west into the agitated air that's blowing the snow toward the East River, or barges would be plowing, whitened like ships of ice through the choppy water. Yes, right. A moment later, it's time to turn the streetlights off and simultaneously bring a truck around the corner of Dipmas Avenue, its headlights still on, <clears throat> and its flat silver top blinking little warning lights, ruby and carnet. That's perfect. That's amazing. Thank you. Questions? Uh, let me just, <clears throat> yeah, yes, questions. Let me just say very quickly that um, <clears throat> this is my favorite part. Um, <laughs> you know, because mostly a writer lives like a figment of his own imagination in a room someplace, and uh, writing is very abstract. You know, you turn the book in, and then a year later it comes out. Um, And yet, every few years, they let us out, and we get to meet the people for whom the books are actually intended. You know, I mean, that's what a book is. It's not necessarily the gift you were expecting. It's not necessarily the gift you may want, but it's meant as a gift. Um, and it is just so meaningful to me to get to talk to people who read books. Um, and I'd be happy to talk about really any, anything at all. Well, can you talk about the, your own personal writing process? I personally want oh, to... Oh, sure, 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 sure. Um, Are you writing every day? Do you write a specific time during the day? Oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a terrible bore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm very, I'm very irregular. Um, <clears throat> you know, I have, I learned early on that I need to segue straight from sleep and dreams into, into writing. Because part of what you're doing as a novelist is trying to maintain your belief, your delusional belief, in this imagined parallel world. And I have found that if I, if I do other things first and then <clears throat> go to my computer, you know, I look at what I've got and I think, well, you know, I'm just making this up. Um, this isn't as profound and mysterious as a drugstore. You know, this isn't as real and, and strange as the dry cleaners. Um, so I have a studio, my old apartment, sixth floor walk up, bathroom in the kitchen, 
um, dark, nasty, it's nasty. Um, but it, you know, it's rent control. It's my old apartment from when I first moved to New York. And I, just like a guy with a job, I get up and get dressed and go report for work. And I sit there for at least four hours, as many as six, and just sort of some days something comes and some days nothing does. But I'm there. Mm, it's like six days a week. It's so boring. <laughs> but that, you know, you've, it, um, I, I, I teach, and one of the things I talk to younger writers about is the fact that part of, the, part of what you have to do is figure out your own method and understand that whatever method you settle on, you will suspect it's wrong and that you'd be doing better work if you found some other way of working. But, uh, you know, I settled on this. A banker. Yes, please. Hi. Hey. Um, I guess it's the excuse me, the <coughs> question. Uh, has it been an option for a film yet? Um, there's talk with with a really interesting director. Um, yeah, I, I I like this director a lot. So we'll see. Yeah. I guess maybe it's, I mean, it's early. I've been way out of the loop so mm. because of an accident, so I'm not sure. Is this your first presentation of the book in public? Uh, no, no. I've I've been um, I, I've been on tour for a while. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Thank you. No, thank you for asking. I'm 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 so I'm so glad it was possible to imagine that this is the first time I've done it because this old barge has been to many ports by now. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I've, I've been on a tour for uh, just a couple of weeks. They, you know, they send you out oh, okay. all over the place. That's but but LA is my hometown. Right, I know. Yeah, I'm so happy to be back here. Yeah, please. Um, are you, do you read life between hardbound and paperback? I mean, do you have these changes? Oh, no. No, no, no. I, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, will I, do I rewrite between the hardcover and the, and the, and the paperback? Um, uh, no. No, no. The, the the paperback is really just intended to be um, a more affordable version of the of the of the hardcover. Um, and I think it starts to feel it would start to feel funny if there were two different versions in print. What I really like about these sort of nips and tucks I do is their ephemerality. Is the fact that they're 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 for the, they're for us in the room and nobody else. Yes, in the back. Yeah. And, and do you do these little rewrites because you're still attached to the characters? Or are you just curing the, the lyricism? Um, do, I, how, why, do I do, do the rewrites because I'm attached to the characters? Am I working with the lyricism? Um, you know, all of the above. It's, it's really mostly to try to make it cohere in such a short space. You know, a book is even, this is not a very long book, but it's still a it's too long to read. Yeah, hey, if anyone, if you want to stay all night, I, I'll do the whole 250 pages for you. But I, I, I suspect you have other things to do. Um, so most of the rewriting I do is to sort of make it cohere in a in a in a in a shorter space than. Yeah, yeah. No, it's something I do specifically um, for for readings, and. Um, 
like I said, it, and and the side effect is it's 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 really fun to have another crack at it. Um, but but no, this is just this, this this is this the changes go away after I'm done reading. They're gone forever. Yes, please. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of the story. Uh, the genesis of the story, you know, it's always slightly mysterious to me where these stories come from. Um, <clears throat> it really, it really did start with uh, what I. The first part I read is the opening of the novel, and um, I'm not entirely sure why, but I was just so interested in the idea of. A regular secular Joe, you know, 38, got a okay but not great job, you know, series, looking for love in all the wrong places, no particular belief system, no, no sense of magic. Um, what if that person saw something inexplicable? What what if what if a celestial light appeared to somebody like that? Um, what would he do? And then I and I, you know, you live with these ideas for a while and see if they stick, if they if they still feel interesting to you um, a month or so later. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, yeah, I think that's that is interesting to me, and especially if. Um, you know, there's the, the, the sort of standard, say the standard Catholic annunciation involves a giant Christmas ornament who comes into your living room and tells you what to do. Uh, I thought, what if there was no message beyond the assertion of a, of a presence? What do, you, what, do, what do you do if you have been, A, told there's something up there, but B, told nothing else? Good luck. <laughs> and that's and that's what got the book going. Anybody else? So shall we say good night? It's such a lovely night out. I don't want to keep you in too long. Yes, yes, a couple more, please, sir. I have a question. I uh, I started part of the book, and when I got to the section in Bushwick, I was really surprised. I don't recall Bushwick ever being a part of the story. I'm not so. I was curious. How did that evolve? That Bushwick became a setting. Um, uh, how, do, how did, why, why is this novel set in Bushwick? Um, <clears throat> Bushwick is a borough, um, uh, well, part of, it's part of the borough of Brooklyn. Um, it is, it's kind of, as they say, coming up now. Um, it's getting sort of groovified, but, um, oh, by the way, th this novel is really, is set in the recent past, it, it, it sort of opens on the eve of the re-election of George W. Bush, a dark night for some of us. Um, and, and it ends on the eve of the election of Barack Obama. But the characters don't know yet that that's going to happen. Um, <clears throat> I like bracketing it with those two very dramatically different election results. Uh, the, the Barack Obama we got is another question for another time. Um, <clears throat> and I was interested in the fact that, that these people are members of what I think of as the first downwardly mobile generation. You know, the, gen the, the, gen the generation that's probably going to be less prosperous than their parents. 
So the Bushwick they live in, the Bushwick of even 10 years ago, is very pioneery, is, is still um, dangerous. There's burnt out cars that have been on the corner for a year. Um, I just sort of wanted them in this almost urban wilderness. This, 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 this neighborhood that isn't exactly meant for human habitation. Are you familiar with Bushwick? Did you, did you try I am, I am. Oh, yo, yo, yeah, I go to these places. Yes, yes, I do my, I do, I do my research. I, have, I, I, haven't li I, I confess that I haven't lived in Bushwick, but I've spent a lot of time there. I, I, I checked it out. I know, I know the building that they actually live in. Yeah, 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 you want to try to get this stuff right. Yeah. <laughs> my sister has a question. Can you talk about what else you're working on? Can I talk about what else I'm, wor what else I'm working on? Um, sure. Um, well, my most immediate project is with the brilliant Gail Berman, who's here tonight. We're um, doing a pilot together for Showtime. I love TV. How many of us love TV, right? I mean, yeah, it's just amazing right now. There, there's so many. I, I, I literally don't have time to see as many shows as I feel like I need to. Um, so Gail and I are working up this show. Uh, I have a book of fairy tales coming out. Perverse, odd, nasty fairy tales um, in another year. And I've started another novel and, you know, um, and that, you know, toothpick replica of Machu Picchu takes up a lot of time as well. <laughs> so thank you. I've got plenty. I've got plenty going on. Do we have one more, and then I'm really going to send you send you all home? Yeah, oh, two more. Yes, sir. Yes. Do you read when you're writing? Yes, I do. I do. Do I read when I'm writing? You know, I hear other writers say that. Um, you know, when I'm writing, I, I try to stay away from reading great books because I don't want to be overly influenced. And my feeling is all, oh, sweetheart, oh, little citizen, if you're worried about turning into Faulkner or Garcia Marquez, you'll be fine. <laughs> Take it in. <laughs> digest it, see if you can get it to bond with some of your DNA, and continue to write as yourself with just a little hint of Faulkner or Garcia Marquez. Add it in. Yes, yes. Last question, please. Oh, who are my heroes? What 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 writers? I have so I have so many heroes. Um, you know, I th I think I think in terms of the sentence, in terms of and ab the ability to to take the words that are in the dictionary that are available to all of us and spin them into the most amazing concoctions is uh, Don DeLillo, um, Dennis Johnson, woof, um, 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 um. um, um. Well, you know Virginia Woolf, but duh. <laughs> uh, I would, I would love, I would love to be able to throw out some some more names of actual living writers. Um, certainly Dennis Johnson, certainly Don DeLillo. There's a fantastic book. It's about a year old now by Julie Atsuku called "The Buddha in the Attic," um, which which 
made will make it help us all helps us all be slightly better human beings. Um, Ann Carson, crazy. I mean, poet kind hard, hard to know. Part of what's great about her is it, it's hard to know what to what to call her. But um, oh, um, please stop listening to me now and read the read one of those books right away. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.